to town on May the 30th, and um, um, it's hosted by a, a comedian named Nazareth, and I was told that Nazareth would be in town, and would it be okay for him to come and share for 10 or 15 minutes kind of about what the vision is and, and, and what, uh, what, what he's going to be doing. So we're blessed to have him with us this morning. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Um, he has uh, toured the world doing comedy. Uh, over 40 million people have laughed at him, which is a good thing when you're a comedian, right? Uh, he has um, been on uh, Comedy Central, ABC, Family, NBC, CBS, TBM. He has toured with the Righteous Brothers, which I don't know if they're righteous or not, but anyway, you know, I can't remember too much of their music, really, not any. But The Temptations, he's toured with. He's worked with B.B. King, The Thrill is Gone, hello. Um, Tim Conway, to name a few, performed at the Grand Old Operate, Notre Dame University, Concert Hall, Sports Dome. Uh, he uh, performs worldwide uh, for our armed services. He's been written up in the New York Times as they've raved about his performance, and uh, yet he would probably tell you that his biggest credit is that of being a husband and a father. So he's going to share a little bit with us this morning, and then I'm going to continue on our series that we've been studying. So would you give it up for Nazareth, please? <laughs> Pastor Richie, thank you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak to you this morning. Uh, I attend a large church in Southern California. We're getting so big now when you call the prayer hotline, you get a guy from India to answer the phone. But uh, I am from the Middle East, but ever since September 11th, I feel so Mexican. <laughs> hey, where's my people? Yeah. I drove here from California. I normally fly, and I always miss my connection flights because I can't run through the airport anymore. If you look Middle Eastern, don't run anywhere. People will tackle you. Oh, don't act Christian on me right now. You're at the airport, sir. You're sitting and you see me running. What are you thinking? Oh, the poor guy, he's late for his connection. No, you're going to tackle me in the name of freedom. You know, we were happy for two weeks. Like Ebola was like good for Middle Easterns. Because you go to the airport, they go, you have a fever? No, you've been to Africa? No, go ahead. Well, I'm from the Middle East. We don't care now. You don't have a fever. Go ahead. Two weeks, that's all it lasted. I'm like, I thought this is for two years, not two weeks. That's bad. But you know what? I feel my job as a Christian is to comfort you on the plane. It doesn't work. How many of you have flown since September 11th? Aren't you glad I was not sitting right next to you on the plane? <laughs> I don't care how Christian you are. I had a priest next to me on the plane. He was shaking. He was like, you're not Middle Eastern, are you? I go, I'm sorry I am. He goes, is your allegiance to this country? I said, yeah, I want to die here. No, 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 not right here. <laughs> what happened? We used to be here 7-Eleven people, remember? Where did we go wrong? We stayed up all night for you people. The Indians and the Koreans went to bed at 9. We stayed up all night. We took your camel jokes, your slurpy jokes. They didn't bother us. I even have little girls make fun of me. This girl comes to me. She goes, do you know Middle Eastern people go when they die? I'm like, where, honey? Heaven 11. Ah, get out of here. <laughs> I prayed. I said, Lord Jesus, what do I tell airport security? And God said, Celine Dion and Alton John. I go, come again, Lord. I don't speak Hebrew. You know what I mean? And God told me, when you sing, you don't have an accent. It's true. No one can tell where you're from when you're singing. So now I don't talk to them. 
I think of that. I look at the officer and go, hello, is it me you're looking for? I can see it in your eyes. He goes, where are you from, boy? I go, this land is my land. This land is your land. What are you doing here? I believe I can fly. <laughs> he goes, your son, Melissa. I go, Feliz Navidad. <laughs> you know, I tried everything. Nothing works except nobody's scared of a girly terrorist. <laughs> so now I go to the airport and go, hi, who's going to frisk me today? Just let him go, man. Just let him go. Yes. Because I travel a lot. I was in Texas, Frisco, Texas. Anybody from Texas here? Frisco, Texas, at the stadium. And some cowboys think they can intimidate me because they're tall and big. I know I was telling Pastor Richie, he's tall, man. This guy is gonna, not going to rapture so far. Just going to be too. He's closer to God than us. He can actually hear God, you know. Pastor, would you pray for me? Don't pray, just talk. He can hear you. <laughs> That's awesome. I appreciate that. I had, yeah. So anyway, see, I have ADD now. People say, think, think outside of the box. I can't find the box. I don't even know what I was talking about. But anyway, I was at state, and some cowboys, they think they can intimidate me. This guy comes to me and goes, hey, boy, I know where you're from. So don't be funny. You know what I mean? Like, I know what you mean. I'm from California. We don't have guns. You know what I mean? And then I do the concert, and they have fireworks afterwards. So he comes back. He goes, boy, you have fireworks in the Middle East? I go, yeah, but it comes down. <laughs> then last December, I was in Calgary, Canada. Minus 40 degrees, freezing cold. And the pastor goes, ah, a little nippy, eh? Nippy? I'm from California. We evacuate in this kind of weather. When you can die at room temperature, that's not nippy, eh? I feel sorry for marriages over there. Can you see the wife going, honey, I just don't feel your love anymore. You don't feel my love. I don't feel my feet. <laughs> but my name is Nazareth. I was born in the city of Nazareth in Israel. And it's a family tradition to name you after the city. I feel sorry for my brother, Waikiki. <laughs> my other brother, Albuquerque. <laughs> and my sister, Buffalo. <laughs> location, location, location. But you know what, I, you know, so I was born in Israel, I grew up in Kuwait, my dad was a jeweler, my mom was a housewife, we came from a Greek Orthodox Christian background, we didn't go to church once in Easter, and the priest has a long beard and you have to kiss his hand, miss me up, to this day I can't watch Duck Dynasty without going, Father Sai, forgive me my sins, Father Sai. But I moved here 32 years ago, I love this country, my first exposure to this country was a small zoo in Cleveland. I paid $20 to see an elephant, a camel, a bull, and a donkey. In my country, that's a car dealership. Yes. And I love this country because we have choice. From the first day I came here, I went to buy some groceries. They said, you want paper or plastic? Choice. Went to get some coffee, regular or decaf? Choice. Got out of the airport, this guy with a gun. He said, give me your wallet or I'll shoot you. Choice. You want to be a Democrat or leave Las Vegas? Choice. I love it. I love it here. But things are getting, you know, I love this country because this is the only place in the world where you can take French toast, English muffin, Canadian bacon, and call it the all-American breakfast. <laughs> I, 
I love food. Uh, you know, I went to buy groceries the other day. My wife sent me, you know, I, uh, I don't like to do groceries, you know. You're from the south. You guys have Piggly Wiggly? Would you shop at a Piggly Would you buy your food from a Piggly Wiggly? I, I would like to be at the naming of that company. Like, hey, let's call it Grocery Town. No, no, no. We need some meat in there. How about Beef Town? No, no, no. We need pigs. They like pigs in North Carolina. How about we call it, you know, Piggly? Yeah, but we want them to know the meat is still fresh. Well, Piggly Wiggly. Still moving. I don't know. So, so, uh, so my wife gave me the list. Uh, eight items of groceries. $162. I went to cashier, and then she cashier looks at me. She goes, do you want to donate a dollar toward hunger? Not anymore. A can of peanuts is $15. Peanuts. Isn't peanuts means nothing? It's peanuts. 15 bucks. I go, how come it's expensive? She goes, well, gas prices are up. Well, tell me where they grow it. I'll go pick it up myself. Then she goes, you want paper or plastic? No, I want a gift box. Wrap it up, put a bow on it. I'll give it to my wife. You go to Walmart. Why pay more? Because you charge me more. I have a son. He's almost 17. Any teenagers here? Any high schoolers? You know, his, his parents are not cool anymore. You know, no parents. He thinks, you know, I drop him at school. He's like, drop me here. I don't want my friends to see you. What am I, Osama Bin Laden? What are you? He doesn't talk to me anymore. How are you doing? Eh. How was your day? Eh. Really? Eight hours? Eh. Somebody said, hey, speak his language. Text him. So I started texting him. How are you? He goes, eh. <laughs> I'm serious. He doesn't talk. His only friend is Siri. He talks to Siri. That's all he does. Hey, Siri, can, can you find which movies? Like, oh, you're talking now. I, I, I was afraid you lost your voice or something. But I, I love this kid. You know, he's a, he's a good kid. I wanted, I wanted to pick up a hobby with him uh, before he goes to college. So we went to this place called Big Bass Pro. Do you guys hunt? Anybody hunts here? You hunt, sir? Sam? Is it Sam? You been there? You been there? Anybody hunts? I love that. You like California. Nobody hunts. You go to Alabama. Everybody hunts. Even babies. Like, ah. I'm serious. I don't know how to hunt. You know, one time I was asking a pastor, what do you hunt for? He goes, pigeons. And doves. I'm like, really? I'm glad you weren't around when Jesus was baptized. And the Holy Spirit descended as a dove. Gabriel, plan B, okay? I don't know. I went to the, I asked the guy, what do you hunt for? He goes, ducks. I'm like, ducks? What do you dress like bread and wait at the park? And then from there, you know, I said, what do I need? He said, you need a gun. $400 is the cheapest gun they have. How can our gang members afford it? And you can't just take the gun and shoot the animals. You got to wear the camouflage outfit. So if you get lost in the forest, no one can find you. That's another 500 bucks. By the time you're done, it's cheaper to go to a small petting zoo and say, hey, you have an old deer I can stab? Well, I came to this country and I started doing comedy. I was a ki like a kid in a candy store. I mean, coming from Kuwait where you can't drink, you can't do anything. Everything was available. And then I started getting into comedy. And the people I started with at the comedy store in Hollywood was Chris Rock, Adam Sandler, Kevin James. And one of the guys that also was working was big that time is Andrew Dice Clay, who after 25 years, I go last night, I go, I'm going to go see what's going on. So I bought a ticket for 60 bucks to see him. And I left 20 minutes into the act. It was 
too dirty even for me who came to Christ at 28. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've used to language. It's just like, I'm like disgusting. If this is comedy, oh my God, this is weird. So anyway, so I started with these guys. And at this time, there was no, they were writing a sitcom for me called Fish Out of Water, a Middle Eastern man in America. Have you ever been in a situation where all your dreams are happening before your eyes? Everything was doing great. The alcohol, the drugs, the potential, and everybody is nice to you because they know you're going to get a show. So everybody, everything was great except I was a miserable man inside. So I got on my knees one time at a party. I said, God, if you're the God that those boring Christians say who you are, make me like them. Because they have some, something I don't have. It's called joy. I didn't know what it was called back then. They had joy, freedom. And I wanted that. And God, within a month, sends a Japanese comic to the Ice House Comedy Club in Pasadena, California, invites me to church. I go to a small church in Southern California, turn my life to Christ. Completely changed my life. I wanted to quit comedy. Praise God. 1992. I wanted to quit comedy. I said, that's it. I can't honor God with that. And then what, the pastor invites me and said, can you do a show for our church? 100 people. I'm like, ah, I can't. He goes, try it. 400 people showed up uninvited. And at the end, they gave me a standing ovation. At the end of the show, one old deacon prayed, said, God, use this man for your glory. And that's when I got the calling that I can do this for God. So I said, God, you know what? I want to go around and I want to do comedy and make people laugh. I know it's cool to be a Christian, but at the same time, I want to give him the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's been my calling. For I've done 4,000 shows that in most of them I've led people to know to come to Christ. But I was driving at that time. And God showed me a vision. And a lot of people say, ah, you know, I, I saw a vision of a big stadium with people laughing and then walking down and giving their life to Christ. At the time, there's something called the Harvest Crusades. And I said, yeah, that's what God wants me to do. He wants me to join and volunteer at the Harvest Crusade because Pastor Greg Glory is funny and they filled the stadium. So I started volunteering, but it wasn't that. And I kept going at my comedy and then... Two years ago, I fasted for 40 days. I just praying. I said, Lord, I want to hear from you. I want to know what you want me to do. And he goes, remember the Comedy Crusades, which I named my company 20 years ago, Comedy Crusades. He said, remember the Comedy Crusades? I said, yeah. He said, I want you to do that. I've been asking you, but you don't have enough faith. So I looked in California, and I found that the poorest city in California was San Bernardino, California. So I went there, and I rented the stadium there. With no money, no, I didn't know what's going to happen. I said, I just want to rent the stadium. I said, I want to reach people that cannot afford to go movie, cannot afford to go to a theater. I want to invite people that cannot invite their friends to a church because they wouldn't come with them. And I want to invite people who are stressed out, hurting, lost a loved one recently, just, just going through chemotherapy. They need a good laugh. Those are the people I want in the show. I'm not charging tickets. We don't want to charge tickets. And in fact, when people leave, if there's a family that's needy, we want to give them a box of food and a, and a toy for their kids. And we want to do this all free. And I prayed about it, and my whole team just got excited. And in July of uh, last year, we had 5,000 people come to the event. 250 to 500 gave their life to Christ after I gave the gospel because I truly believe God's word will not come back void. And there's people who are going to hear it and going to respond, and their life's going to be changed. And we gave a 1,000 toys, a 1,000 gift boxes. And God, after that, right away, he said, Las Vegas. I'm like, no, you're not. I'm not going to Vegas. It's a rich country. It's a rich city. He goes, 
go drive around 10, 10, 10 miles or 5 miles away from this trip. And I went to Vegas, and I started driving around. And I saw the poverty. I saw that. And then I saw the Cashman Center. I went inside. They have a stadium. I said, that's what I want. So I met with them. I said, I want to rent this. They said, come back. Bring your team. We'll bring our team. Who, who did they bring? The city of Las Vegas conference and convention people. And they said, they said we'll, we'll be behind you. We're going to do it. So we signed the contracts, everything, almost one signature left from the baseball manager, and they rejected it. They said, we don't want you here. We don't want to do this event. So I was just, uh, my, my manager said, Naz, relax. God is in control. You're going to Vegas. It's a spiritual battle. It's not going to just happen easily. So I said, we've got to find another place real quick. So I called the, the pavilion, the Henderson Pavilion, not knowing that Henderson was a, a well-off town. I want to I reach people who can't afford it. So I just... So I called him, and I told him, hey, this is what we're doing. I spoke to the manager. I said, this is exactly. But i got to tell you one thing. I'm a Christian man. I'm not going to lie to you. This is a crusade. We're going to invite people to the, to the floor to come to know, receive Christ as Lord and Savior. She goes, amen, brother. <laughs> I'm like, you're a believer. She goes, yeah, I go to Calvary Chapel, you know, Green Valley. I said, so God just showed us favor in this place. And on, November, on May 30th, we're going to go there, and we would love for you. And I'm thinking this, this is a smaller church. But when Joshua had a big army to go fight, God said, I only need 300. Well, we only need 50. If you guys can really go behind us and really invite people who are hurting, invite people who have a need, invite people who just need a laugh. doesn't matter if they're wealthy or not wealthy or nothing. If they need a laugh or someone you couldn't invite to church or you invited won't show up to church, bring them to that event. We're going to laugh. We have Crystal Lewis, a Grammy Award nominee. She's going to sing. We have a rapper who won Dove Awards and three nominees, Grammy nominees. He's going to T-Bone. We're going to have Izzy Ray, which is a younger teen singer. She's going to be there singing. I have two comedians coming up and myself. At the end of the event, we're going to do an invitation to Christ. If you, please, if you want to pass flyers, if you want to say, hey, Ned, how can I help? Just come see me afterwards, and we'll talk about it. And we'll, we'll see how you can help. Little things that you guys do. This is your city. It's not ours. I'm called to come in, bring people to Christ, and then you guys can disciple them. That's our job. So pray for us. We need prayer teams. We need people to sponsor the event. If they have a business, they want to be part of it, they can do that. But most of all, pray for us. Pray for us, and let's. we need 5,000 people to be there. We know it's going to be there. It's going to be 5,000 people. So we're just waiting for the Lord to to use you to reach the city. Thank you so much for allowing me to be part of you. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Man, how cool is that? So a Japanese man visits a, a comedy shop in Pasadena and leads a man from uh, Kuwait to the Lord, or at least begins that. I mean, that sounds like God to me, right? Sounds like God. Let's pray for our brother. Could you all stand with me? And after this, junior, senior high, you guys were dismissed. Father God, we just thank you for Nazareth, and we thank you for this. Um, this <laughs> Man, this is gr I love this. This is funny. It's good. And yes, Lord, laughter, it's a good thing to laugh. It's good medicine, your word says. And so I thank you uh, for what, we, what we've been able to experience this morning. And, Lord, I ask also that you would just be with our brother and continue to show him favor and open doors and that each flyer that's taken and is handed out Lord, that you would make the invitation, that you would supernaturally bring people, bring the body of Christ that's, that's hurting and needy, and bring those who are lost and are hurting 
and needy that need to hear from you. We thank you for this uh, unique gift. It's a blessing, and we, we ask your hedge of protection about him and his entire family and his entire team as this date approaches. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Am I on? Good. Oh, that's great. Is that funny? Man, I love that stuff. We'll be a part of it, right? Whatever you need, we're in. We're all in. That's how we do it. We don't always need to hear all the other stuff. We know, we know, we know when the when God's up to something, and that's what we want to be a part of it. So we will be. Um, I've got a short message for you. This morning, it's the second part of a series on how to get a grip or strengthening your grip on your time. And, and boy, uh, how, how many of us wish that we had more than 20? Wouldn't it be great if you had 28 hours in the day and everybody else had 24? No, because you'd fill it up with something else. and You'd go, I can't believe it. Where has the last 28 hours gone, right? I and mean, we'd find a way to, to, I don't know if we'd get more done or not, I mean, Some of y'all might sleep a little bit more. I know I'll be, hey, I got an extra four hours sleep. How about you? No. Anyway, um, strengthen your grip on your time. Time is a precious commodity. It's probably our most valuable commodity. I happen to think it's more uh, valuable than our money. And I think I shared this last week that sometimes it's a lot easier to give some money away than it is to give your time away. Time is precious. Ask any young person how they spell love. And they will say it's spelled T-I-M-E, right? And so uh, we're going to look at the example of Jesus Christ, and we're going to look at how we might be able to strengthen our grip on our time. Before we do that, I want want to read to you um, uh, about a man named John Thompson, Reverend John Thompson. Listen to this, because at the end, I'm going to share the second part of this, so remember this. Reverend John Thompson died in 1753 after leaving the position of moderator of the Presbyterian Synod in Philadelphia to become a missionary planting some of the first churches along the base of the Appalachian Mountains and into the new colonies of Virginia and North Carolina, as well as founding two universities to educate men in the word. Uh, One particular book that he wrote was published by his son-in-law, and another book that he wrote was published by Benjamin Franklin. Okay, Keep that in mind, and we'll talk about him at the end of our time um, <clears throat> this, this afternoon. And so following the example of Jesus, I have a lot of scripture verses that I'm going to be reading today. You can follow along on the screens, or if you'd like to uh, 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 see how fast you can pull up a scripture in your, uh, your uh, smartphone, you can do that as well. Or you may even be old school, and you might have your Bible with you. You might. You might. Amen for the old school. Just, just a show of hands, if you're old school and you actually brought your Bible, could you raise your hand? Yeah, what's up? What's up, young generation? Look around you. Look around you. <laughs> no, don't, don't hold your phone up. That's right. Bring our Bible. Old school. Entire nations. Anyway, so John chapter 12, verse 46. Jesus said, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. And Jesus not only came as light, he would tell us that he is the light. And what he actually said is, he is light. 
Now, of all the religious figures that I know of and all the, the men and or women who have claimed to be religious or sent from God, none of them claim to be light, to be life, to be truth. They claim to speak words of truth. Jesus said he was truth. John 18, 36, therefore Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. By the way, just as a side note, if you did not catch the first two episodes of A.D., the television series that's on the book of Acts, it is Hollywood, but the people who produce it are born again, and so far the first two episodes have been pretty good. There'll be a great little side note to our study in the book of Acts. You could study the book of Acts on Thursday nights, and then you could watch the TV show and go, that's not what the word says, because you're all trained up in Acts or something like that. And you can look all smart and in the word and sharpening your sword. So anyway, so far so good on that show. Check it out. It comes on tonight. Don't know what time. Luke chapter 19, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. That which was lost. So he's come as light. He's come to testify to the truth. And he has come to seek and save that which was lost. John 6:38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will and purpose, but to do the will and purpose of him who sent me. Understand this, um, on Wednesday nights we're doing a series on discipleship and what real discipleship looks like, L real discipleship. And it's been pretty interesting, and we're going to show you a video clip at the end of our time of a movie that we'll be showing, or a documentary we'll be showing on Wednesday evening. But in that, we're finding, and we've been talking about how Jesus could not live the Christian life without his Father, God the Father, God the Son, could not live the Christian life without God the Father. The Holy Spirit came upon him, and then he went into the wilderness, and he came back in the power of the Holy Spirit. So understand that when we, try, when we strive and when we press and we try to, I think I can, I think I can, and only if I do better, if I read more, if I pray more, if I fast more, if I, oh God, maybe you'll be pleased with me. Understand not even Jesus could live. Jesus, God come in the flesh, could not live the Christian life apart from his father. He said in John 5, 19, I tell you the truth, the son can do what? Nothing by himself. Nothing. He can only do what he sees his father doing. John 5, 30, by myself, Jesus said, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear and my judgment is just for I seek not to please myself but him who sent me. So if there's any main feature of the purposes and the walk of Christ, let's start with that. Let's start with that everything was in alignment with the Father. Everything. That, that everything that Jesus accomplished, everything, every little bit of it was done in unity and through His Father working through Him and under the will of his father, everything. That's what makes Jesus unique. The only man who ever lived, who was always 100% of the time in complete unity with, the, with God the Father. Never violated any law, any precept of the law in word or thought or deed. No one can match that. 
That's why if you want to compare religious ideologies, just compare their character, their person, their spiritual leader to Jesus. That's it. And it's end of story right there, okay? So get that when we talk about how to live on purpose and strengthening our grip on our time. Let that be a banner that we wave as well. So, first of all, live life on His time. I know we tend to live life on our time and then sort of put God in there at the end on Sunday or, or whatever, but, but live life on His time. Some point, life is short. Life is short. I shared with you last Saturday, last Sunday, how I had a funeral that I did. Uh, Freddie Thompson, just a great, a great man who was, who was uh, uh, very instrumental in our school district and, and, and who had a diagnosis of stage 4 pancreatic cancer and six weeks later was gone. And I mean, the, our community, the basketball world, the, the education is still reeling with the fact that it happened so fast and it happened so quickly. Life is short. It shouldn't have happened like that. that, that that's, that's not the way that we like to see death happen. No, I mean, 55, he's too young, right? Psalm 39 says this. It says, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. Verse 6 says, we, were mere, uh, we are merely moving shadows and all are busy rushing ends in nothing. We heap up wealth not knowing who will spend it. And so where do I put my hope? My only hope is in you, the psalmist says. Okay? Secondly, make the most of every day. Wow. As I said to one of Freddie Thompson's relatives, I said, are you, are you breathing in and breathing out? She was saying, we're just taking it one day at a time. I said, you know, I bet. I go, are you breathing in and breathing out? She said, yes. And I said, you know what? That's a good day. That's a good day. Just make the most of every day. Ephesians, Paul the Apostle says, chapter 5, verse 15, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil, so then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So there he, wa- he links our walking with the Lord and being a wise person in that walk with the Lord in that you are being diligent to make the most of your time. The Amplified Bible says, look carefully then how you walk. Live purposefully and worthily and accurately, not as unwise and witless but as wise, sensible, intelligent people making the very most of the time, buying up each opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be vague and thoughtless and foolish, but understand and firmly grasping what the will of the Lord is. Okay, make the most of every day. Make the most of every opportunity because it's a gift. Every day is a gift. Make the most of every relationship. The older I get, the more important I realize how important relationships are with others. And I treasure those relationships. There are people that I may not see all that often, but because of the years that we built together, boy, I can see them and we pick up right where we left off. Boy, those relationships are priceless. 
That was one of the reasons why it was so important to me to get to see Freddie when I heard that he had that cancer and that he, was, he was, had been shipped to the emergency room. I was like, man, I got to go see him because of the relationship that we've had for years. And though I may not have seen him much, I walked in that room and we picked up right where we left off the last time I saw him years ago. So Peter um, exhorts us <clears throat> to love one another. First Peter 1, 22 and 23 says, Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. And that word that's used there is where we get our English word Philadelphia from, brotherly love. So you purified your hearts for a sincere brotherly love, fervently love. And there's another Greek word that's used there. And that word is agape, agapo. That's our word for the kind of love that God has. So what is Peter, Paul saying is, is you know, uh, uh, Peter saying, listen, you, you have brotherly love for one another, but move on. Move on to fervently love one another from the heart. And here's the emphasis on why you would do that. For you've been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is the living and enduring word of God. Make the most of every relationship. Psalm 90, the psalmist got it right when he said, number your days. Here's the harsh reality. There's a number that we have to our days. There's an there's a, there's a, there's a end. There's a period at some point. It's true for all of us. And we would like to think that would be many, many years from now, or we like to think that that would be some distant time. It, it, it may be. It may not be. Uh, that, 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 that's, that's the truth. And, and as believers in Christ, we're okay with that. We're okay with that. So the psalmist says, teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. So there again, we see the link between living diligently, living uh, on purpose, and being a wise person. It's a wise person who numbers their days and lives daily with the end in mind. That's a biblical precept. Seven habits of highly effective people did not start that. God starts that. Because nothing that God begins doesn't include the ending or the end result of it. Because everything God creates, designs, has purpose. Everything. And so he says, and you get the idea that in Paul's life, he was always living his life on purpose and with the end in mind. And he says in 2 Timothy 6, for I am already being sacrificed. My life is about to be poured out as a drink offering. The time of my spirit's release of the body is at hand, and I will soon go free. Wait a minute, Paul. Uh, Paul aren't you already free in Christ? You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free? Yes, but... The ultimate freedom is to be released from this body and, as he said, and to be present with the Lord. And he calls it being free. Verse 7, he says this, I have fought the good, worthy, honorable, noble fight. I have finished the race and I've kept or firmly held the faith. I fought the good fight. I finished the race and I've kept the faith. And he says, as to what remains henceforth, there's laid up for me the victor's crown of righteousness for being right with God and doing right, 
which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me and recompense me on that great day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved and yearned for and welcomed his appearing or his return. What a great thing to say about someone at the end. I have fought the good fight. I raced. Boy, did I race. No, I finished the race. Right? I've kept the faith. I wasn't perfect, but I fought the fight. Because you know what? Christianity today is a fight. It's a struggle. Right? There's an adversary. And look yourself in the mirror, and you'll see your biggest adversary. <laughs> Not only that, there's an outside adversary as well. It's a fight. But Paul said, you know what? I fought that fight, and I finished the race, and I've I've kept the faith. I've kept the, I've held on. Live daily with the end in mind. And live daily with a vision from above. Live daily with a vision from above. Paul the Apostle says in Galatians 1.15, But even more, even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me. Here's why. So that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. That's the race that Paul ran. He preached the gospel, the good news to the Gentiles. This man who was an absolute expert in the law, among other things, was sent to the Gentiles to preach the gospel. Who'd have thunk it? That's how God works sometimes, right? Wally Amos, you may not know the name, but you remember his cookies, famous Amos cookies. He said this, life is never what it appears to be, it's always more. Just hold on to your vision and have faith. I like that. And he says, we're human beings, not human doings. Wally Amos has started another cookie company called the Big Kahuna. Because <laughs> he lives in Hawaii. And if you live in Hawaii and you make cookies, you might as well be the Kahuna. So what if you don't know what your vision is from above? I don't know. I have no idea what God has for me. Have you been born again? Jesus said, unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. To be born again means to be born from above. It means to be born into the spiritual realm, the spiritual dimension. It means to have a personal relationship with Christ, not a religious relationship, not to know him from a distance, how many of you would recall a time in your life where you just didn't get this whole Christian thing? Nazareth was speaking about how, how he didn't understand, and, and he prayed, Lord, give me what they have. Well, what they have is a relationship. They, what he saw was the joy as a result of their relationship of being born again. He said, Lord, give me that. But you can't have that until you enter into relationship with him, a personal relationship. And because of God's grace and God's mercy, he wants that for you, but you have to acknowledge it. And I remember the time in my life when it happened, and it was almost like I didn't get it. It was like I didn't get I was going to church. I, I, I loved hearing the word. I, I didn't really care for the music. I was like, I don't get this music and all these people with their hands up and whatever reaction they're having. You know, I mean, the bass player, he really isn't thumping like he should. I mean, what's going on? Uh, but... Uh, I wanted to hear the word, and I just remember when I went, I got totally set up by God, totally set up, uh, and, 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 the, and the message went forth, and, and it was like, I got it, I got it, I got it. And I said, you know, this guy, he is going to ask me to raise my hand, because that's what I hear every week, and I refuse to do it, 
but tonight I'm raising my hand. But he didn't say that. He said, raise your hand. And I go, there it is. I was waiting for that all day. Then he said, stand up. I said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, man. No, no, no. No, no, no. No, no, you raise your hand. You don't stand up. No one's ever said that. But I was all in, so I was committed, and I stood up. And then he said, come forward. I'm like, oh, my Lord. Man, was it not enough to raise my hand? That's what I'm thinking, right? But I didn't care. I came forward, stood up front. Nobody else was tall like me. I'm thinking, everyone's looking at me. I can tell. Man. But I got it. It wasn't because I figured it out. It was because I was born again. And it was a work of the Spirit. See, God calls. God works. God's, God's involved in our lives. Not just when that time comes. Our whole life. You look, and the fact that you might even be here today is no coincidence. I mean, you might have struggled and kicked and screamed, as C.S. Lewis said. I, I kicked and screamed uh, uh, the whole way into the kingdom. That's how I entered, he said, kicking and screaming the whole way. No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> are you born again? If you are, we have to have a constant change of our thinking. We're talking about how to strengthen our grip on our time, and we've been talking about a relationship. That's the key to it. Paul says in Romans 12 in the um, uh, New Living Translation, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. That's how transformation continues. It's a process of retooling and retraining the way we think. The way we think about past hurts. The way we think about what others have said about us. The way we think about our failures. The way we think about our successes. The way we think about things that we believed about ourselves that are not true. We retrain our thinking. You ever said that? Man, why do you think that way? Well, because there's a, re there's a, there's a, a work of the Spirit that needs to happen, and that's an ongoing process. Because he says, then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and perfect and pleasing. Okay, here's another thing. Bloom where you're planted. Bloom where you're planted. Sometimes we spend so much time looking ahead to what God is doing, we miss where we are right now. And this is mundane, and this is average, and I'm waiting for the will of the Lord, and right now I'm just sort of doing this, but I know God has something more for me. Listen, every man and woman called in the Bible were busy being kingdom people when God called them, and most of them were involved in average mundane things. What was David doing when he was called? Shepherding. He didn't even get invited to the party. The prophet's coming into town. Everybody knows it. But David, someone has to watch the sheep. You. Young fella, get out there. You ain't going to be king anyway. David's like, all right. Goes right back to, huh? Could you imagine that? He's out there, you know, doing his thing, you know, practicing. You know, that was a good one. Whoa, that was close. Yeah. David. Yo, David, what? Or, uh. <laughs> prophet wants to meet with you. Really? How about Moses? Second time he got called, what was he doing? Backside of the wilderness, tending sheep. 
Saul, King Saul, what was he doing? Looking for a donkey. Ooh, that's spiritual. How about Rahab was a madam at a house of ill repute? Notice my cleverly used language because of some young people that say, Mom, what's ill repute? You can figure out whatever you need to say later. She was, though. What? Amos was a sycamore tree farmer and a shepherd. Are you kidding me? I'm a farmer of figs. Hannah was praying for a son. Ruth was gleaning in the field. Esther entered a beauty pageant. <laughs> oh, uh, Elisha was plowing a field. Peter, James, and John were doing what? Fishing. Fishing. Clean up the nets. What are you doing today, Peter? <laughs> Going fishing. That's what I do. Think anything great will happen today? Yeah, I'll catch a lot of fish. That's what I'm hoping for. You think you might meet the Messiah, the Savior of the whole world? What? Just go on fishing, dude. I don't know anything about that. Jesus says, come and follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. What do they do? Drop their nets. See ya. Wow. Wednesday night. Discipleship. Nathaniel was sitting under a fig tree. Matthew was collecting taxes. There's a spiritual thing. Extorting people, collecting taxes. Jesus goes, he goes, I. <laughs> Saul was on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians when he got called. Don't miss the moment. Don't miss today. Sometimes we miss what God wants to do right now because we're so looking forward to something that we think is out there. Hey, grow in the gifts that you have. Get around people with similar gifting. Are you an intercessor? Find out who the intercessors are. Get around them. Spend time with them. Pray with them. Find those who have been interceding longer than you have and hear what God's doing in their life. Be discipled by them. Read books by people who have similar giftings. Do you have a prophetic gifting? Find out who God is speaking through. And filter it because there's a lot of nonsense out there. But, 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 but gain wisdom in that. Okay? Grow in that. And then step out in faith. Do you have the gift of evangelism? Do you have the ability to engage people with the gospel and see them come to know the Lord Jesus Christ? Step out every once in a while. Let the Holy Spirit use you in unique ways. Because it's all for his glory. I may not have given you any specific practical guidelines. But if we have the basis right. If we have the center right. If we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Everything else will be added. If we, if we cause our life to revolve around Christ. Rather than Christ revolving around our life. Uh, if, if, if that's our priority. I think that our time will be utilized in supernatural ways. I believe that's the key, as Jesus said. So, all for his glory, so that one day, 2 Timothy 2.4, it will be said of us, or we can say, like Paul did, I have fought the good fight of faith. I have finished 
the race and I've kept the faith. What a great, great goal in life. And how you live your life today will determine how we do when that time comes. That's why Christ must be at the center. Does that make sense? So, I have for you here a couple of things. On your way out, you're going to get this sheet called a life vision. It's going to help you process and think about some of these things. I have a personal life vision. My life vision is pretty simple. is glorify God in all things and be a witness. Pretty simple. In everything I do, that's what I want to do. I want to glorify God and I want to be a witness. I don't know. It might be different for you. This will help you to think through that. This will help you to think about some, some people in your life and what they, you want them to say about you at the end. And then on the back, there's a website that you can go to to get the full information. This was a teaching done by Mike Bickle at the uh, International House of Prayer. Jolly good stuff. Check this out. you get this on your way out. Now, let me finish with these two things. Number one is that it is never too late for you to change your destiny. It is never too late to change the trajectory of your life and what once was and where you may have blown it or where you haven't been in tune with God. You know what? You can change that in a nanosecond right now. You might think it's too late for me. It's too much. I can't. You can. It can't. That's what God does. Well, I've messed up too bad. Listen, he can take all of that and redeem that for his glory. Okay? Now, let me finish up on John Thompson. I want to read to you some of his writings. This is cool. Oh, as soon as my phone cooperates. Come on. Come on, folks. Would y'all just kind of commiserate with one another? Come up here, man. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I know my kids have been like, Dad, you should have never put it in airplane mode. I told you. It's loading now. <laughs> don't, don't do that. Don't do that. That just makes it worse. Here it is. I have it. Thank you. My trusty assistant was about to rescue me with her newer iPhone. Which I'm sure is faster than mine. But the following is an excerpt from... Poor Orphan's Legacy by Reverend John Thompson. Here's what he said, and I'm just going to give you some excerpts. Remember what I said at the beginning about his life. Dear children, some years have elapsed since I first began to entertain thoughts of preparing some words of whole, wholesome advice which might be of lasting use and benefit to you. I have not been in a condition either to make any provision for your worldly settlement or even to afford you but a very small degree of education and learning, and far short of what is commonly given, especially to ministers of the gospel, to their children. And it seems to grow more and more unlikely that I, will, that I shall be in a condition to do anything of value in these respects to you. You understand that ministers in you know, the late, late 1700s, ministers were well taken care of. It was not, in a sense, a lucrative position, but they, they were paid well. Their children were educated well. And you see what he is saying is because I have chosen to not fulfill that role but to go be a missionary, I, I, I don't have, I've not been able to give that to you. You, you, you read that in that? Okay, good. So he says... Um, 
It seems to grow more and more unlikely that I will ever be, shall ever be in a condition to do anything of value in these respects for you. I entreat and charge you that you not only diligently uh, peruse and ponder, but also carefully and, perse and persevering practice what I shall here offer for your good. If, you if your love to God and holiness be not above your love of worldly things, if your care and concern for your souls be not more than, uh, more than for all other concerns in the world, I never expect to enjoy your company in our Heavenly Father's house above. My dear children, the very supposition and fear of any of you coming short of this wounds and terrifies my very heart. And this is a time and age, listen to this, late 1700s. This is a, this is a time and age of the world wherein serious practical godliness is grown scarce uh, and worn so much out of fashion. So little of the relish of it is to be discovered in the common discourse of conversation of professors, especially the young rising generation. That I am afraid, my dear children, lest you or any of you be carried away with the current uh, of a lifeless profession and at last be found the goats on your judge's left hand. You get that he's writing this to his children. And he's depositing something in them. Therefore, in tender regard and concern for your welfare, I have endeavored to provide and lay up this little legacy for you before I die which, if it please the Lord to follow it with his blessing, may afford you more profit and comfort than if I had silver and gold, land and possessions to distribute among you by my last will and testament. So, seven generations later, okay, at an Easter celebration, my wife is reading this to the seventh generation and the eighth generation because that's her great, 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 seven times back grandfather who had no idea, however many years it was, that this legacy would be left behind for generations not yet to come. Had he labored his life away for silver, gold, land, and possessions, I promise you eight generations later, that would have been long gone. Maybe after one generation. But the deposit that he made for the future lives on today. And it's invaluable. So, Live your life in such a way today that eight generations from now, they'll be talking about your spiritual legacy and your deposit. That will cause you to change your day planner. That will cause us to reprioritize our life around Maybe what really, really matters. Is that powerful? That's so cool. That's so cool. 
May we be those people. You'll get this on your way out. Let me have the ushers come forward. We're going to take our missions offering.